Village Movie Theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at www.thecalicoontheater.com. Good morning and welcome to Catskill Character on WJFF Radio Catskill. I'm Donna Fellenberg and my guest today is psychoanalyst Gordon Powell, who lives and practices in the city, but also has had a home here in the Catskills for the last 30 years. I've asked Gordon to come on the show today to talk about psychotherapy and psychoanalysis because people have voiced a lot of interest in this topic. But, as is the case so often with many people who come in on the show, Gordon also has a very interesting backstory that I'm eager to get started with, so let's jump right in. Here's my conversation with Gordon Powell. Gordon, welcome to WJFF. Thanks for joining me on Catskill Character. Thanks, Donna. I'm glad to be here. You told me your father was in the Air Force, and you moved around a lot before the age of seven. You went to France, Germany, Southern California. Do you have any memories of being in any of those particular places? I do. I I was um, a couple of months old when we moved to France, uh, so I don't remember that very well. I remember being in Germany. I remember Southern California pretty well. I went to kindergarten there, and uh, I've got two older brothers, and they have filled me in on a lot of the details of everywhere that we lived. And whether I remembered or not, they'll tell me what I've forgotten, and it'll suddenly become a memory of mine. I was born in Indiana, and then when I was a few months old, my father had us transferred to France. My mother's father, my grandfather, had died a couple of days after I was born, and my grandmother was alone. And we ended up moving to France, very near my grandmother, and were stationed there for two years. Then we we had to uh, move again, and we were stationed in Germany, but also pretty close to my grandmother. So my grandmother, who had just lost her husband, and I, who was uh, a couple of months old, I think we kind of fused. I think we became very, very, very close. I have a lot of memories of her then. Didn't your father meet your mother in Germany? Yeah, my father, as you said, was in the Air Force, and uh, he was stationed in Germany after the war. My mother was German, and uh, my my father met her there, and uh, they were married in Germany in 1951. So you traveled around, the family traveled around, and when you were, I forget exactly how old you told me you were, I think maybe seven, six or seven, you settled down in New Jersey, and that's where you went to high school. What did you do after high school? Uh, after high school, I went to college. I went to Rutgers, and I started off as a journalism major, and then I became a communications major. But I really hit my stride when I became an English lit major. It opened up a world to me that I hadn't been aware of. I've been an avid reader ever since, and I, I think it also uh, was a big help later when I became a psychoanalyst in my psychoanalytic career. There's a, there's a lot of similarity between literary analysis and psychoanalysis. Did you always have an interest in psychotherapy or psychoanalysis? Is that something that you always had in the back of your mind? Uh, no, I, I was completely ignorant of it until after I graduated with my English major, I didn't know what to do, so I became an editor. And um, I loved the people I work with. I didn't like the work very much. Uh, it was not as interesting as the name would imply. And You were an editor. I was an editor. I was an editor. And, and basically all I did was pass manuscripts back and forth between authors and freelancers and design directors. I a- actually read none of the manuscripts that I worked on. It wasn't required. Um, 
But one night, I was out at the White Horse Tavern with a colleague of mine, and he, over drinks, suggested that I see a psychotherapist, which had never occurred to me. I wasn't insulted, though. I realized instantly it was a really good idea. I knew I needed one. And he referred me to his therapist, who referred me to his wife, and I had a great initial experience in in therapy. It really, it, it's a little bit of an overstatement to say it, but it came close to saving my life. So your um, experience in your own life led you to start to think about becoming a psychotherapist. You wanted to do this for other people, what had just been this gift that had been given to you. So I think that's wonderful. I had a very different experience. I was a hairdresser, and one of my patients, one of my clients was a psychotherapist, and um, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And I said to him one day, uh, how about if I become your patient? And he said, how about if you lose a client? (laughs) (laughs) And that's what happened. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know about you, but people are often asking me, you know, what's the difference between being a psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst? So I was hoping that you wouldn't mind answering that question. Uh, people are always confused about it. It's really confusing. My brothers still don't understand exactly which I am. So I guess the distinction that most people have heard of is psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker. A psychiatrist is an MD, a physician who has um, specialized in psychiatry, and usually that means they learn very little about talk therapy. It's mostly medication. Um, some there's there are some exceptions to that, and then there are uh, and then there are some psychiatrists who get their uh, doctor doctors uh, and their MD and go on and study psychoanalysis. I'll say a little bit about that in a second. But most psychiatrists don't do talk therapy or aren't trained in talk therapy. They're trained to uh, about medication. Psychologists are PhDs in psychology. Social workers have a master's in social work. Most of the therapists, there are also other degrees now too. There's a mental health counselor, licensed mental health counselor. There's family and children's therapy. There are nurse practitioners. There are lots of other degrees now that allow people to practice therapy. Um, Most of the therapists are either psychologists or social workers. And those are the people that become therapists. Psychoanalysts require special training. You did it, I did it. Four years of intense uh, training uh, with our own analysis. Uh, We have to have patients and we have supervision, close supervision of those patients and, and a lot of classes. And that's a more, I think, intense way to to work than just psychotherapy. I'll have a psychotherapist angry at me for saying that. But the way that I think about it is, in psychoanalysis, we work with the most vulnerable, most deprived parts of people. And we strive to connect with those parts of people and make them less vulnerable, less deprived, um, less damaged. And it's it's a lot less uh, kind of intellectual and cognitive uh, work than it is emotional work trying to provide for people what they didn't get. And the, you know, the standard definition of a psychoanalyst is somebody who works with transference and the unconscious. Transference just means the relationship between the patient and the therapist and the unconscious. I think everybody knows what that means. 
Yeah. I th- I'm sure most people have heard about Sigmund Freud. He's the father of psychoanalysis. And by the way, when he was doing that, everyone was a doctor, and they were all male. We should add that. Um, but Heinz Kohut, who is the father of self-psychology, isn't exactly a household name, but he, he is, that is where you studied. That's the theory that anchors your training, correct? Maybe you want to speak about that a bit? Yeah, I, I went to uh, Training and Research Institute for Self-Psychology in Manhattan. It's, it's uh, changed its form now. It's not a psychoanalytic institute anymore. That's a long story. Um, but the, the theory there was focused around Kohut's work. And I think what, what to me is so inspiring and important about Kohut is that in, in his theory, he's always encouraging the analyst and the patient to look forward, to look ahead, to look for what they want, to look for how they want to be, how they want to develop, what they want to happen. And it's a, it, the work follows the patient's lead uh, in, in moving the patient forward. Uh, and it's, uh, patients respond really strongly to it because I stick very, very closely to their experience, trying to understand the world from their point of view, from their subjectivity. And from that, people change. People change enormously. And it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's a forward-looking, really kind of optimistic psychoanalytic theory, um, as opposed to the Freudian theory, which tends to look at uh, problems and defenses and uh, what holds people back. We, we do that too, but only insofar as it's necessary to help people move forward. It, it's, a, it's a really um, forward-looking theory, and that's one of the many reasons that I love it. And I guess we should include the fact that the main tool that Heinz Kohut talked about in uh, developing his theory was empathy. In other words, being able to put yourself in the shoes of the patient. That doesn't always mean you're going to be a nice guy all the time, but really understanding what it is that they're looking for, what it is that they need in every particular moment of that 45 minutes that you're with them. And uh, in psychoanalysis, in an ideal world, they're with you at least three times a week. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time now because it's expensive, insurance doesn't want to pay for it, yada, yada. But how many years have you been an analyst now? I've been doing this for about, I, I lose track a little bit, I think about 25 years. Wow, that's a long time. And you still love it, and that's a beautiful thing. People may not realize it but it's exacting and exhausting work. They think you're just sitting there, you know. <laughs> they envision the analyst sitting behind the couch. And I'm, Do you use a couch? No. Some patients use the couch. Some patients don't. Mm-hmm. Most don't. Most don't. Yeah, that was my experience yeah. as well. But um, it's very tiring, wouldn't you say? I, I, it's not tiring for me. Pe- my patients ask me that all the time, and people, people outside the field ask me that all the time, too. I don't find it so tiring, and I think... I think it's because I'm always focused on the patient and and what can happen for the patient and with the expectation that um, there's something I can do to help uh, the patient move forward. It, for, for some reason, it doesn't, t- it doesn't tire me out so much. And that's why you're still doing it, Gordon, and I'm not. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Oh, 
Okay, well, let's let's take a quick break here. This is Catskill Character on WJFF Radio Catskill with today's guest, Gordon Powell. We'll be right back, so stay tuned. Catskill character will be getting back for the second half in just a moment. Want to pause and let you know about the weather. If you don't have any windows, it's sunny outside. At least it's sunny here on the shores of Lake Jefferson. High going to be getting up to about 38 today. Tonight it'll be clear overnight, low 21, sunny and even warmer tomorrow with a high near 45. Mostly clear tomorrow night, overnight low 26. And there's a chance of some precipitation that might be coming in on Monday night. Otherwise, Monday will be partly sunny with a high near 48. This is WJFF. Stay tuned for more of Catskill Character. So often people want to talk about the Underground Railroad, but the face of slavery, the mechanism of slavery, the brutality of slavery, the inhumanity of slavery, and the hypocrisy of slavery is not part of that conversation as it should be. Who is Austin Stewart? What was his journey from enslavement to freedom? And why should we care? This week on the Janice Adams Show, Saturday at 4. Welcome back to Catskill Character. If you've just joined us, I'm Donna Fellenberg, your host, and my guest today is psychoanalyst Gordon Powell. In the first half of the show, Gordon spoke about his early years when his father was in the Air Force and they moved around quite a bit, finally settling down in Pequannock, New Jersey when he was seven. While working in publishing, Gordon was editing college psychology textbooks and he became very interested in psychotherapy. He studied for a master's in social work and after he graduated, he felt he needed more training so he pursued a certification in psychoanalysis, which he spoke about at length in the first half of the show. He broke it down for us, the differences in those two pursuits, psychotherapy versus psychoanalysis, and also got a bit into the different schools of thought and theory within those professions, self-psychology being the theoretical approach developed by Heinz Kohut. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk about optimism and the role it plays in the development of one's personality, and we'll discuss where in Gordon's life he believes his comes from. Here's more Catskill Character with Gordon Powell. Gordon, what personal trait or traits do you possess that you believe help you to do this work? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think that um, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in figuring out what makes people tick. And I think, as I said before, you know, I, I, I have this kind of uh, innate optimism about people's ability to change and specifically about my – this is going to sound a little grandiose – but my ability to help people change. I'm, I, um, 
I, I have a lot of faith in the theory, the, the, the self-psychology theory that we talked about earlier. I have a lot of faith that if, that if when I'm lost, if I apply it, even when I'm not lost, if I apply it, um, that something will happen and something will shift and, and, and things can change for patients. And rather than getting too frustrated with most patients, so there's some that I get really frustrated with, but with most patients, um, e- even when I'm stuck where I feel like things aren't moving, I, I always have the expectations that at some point I'll, I'll be able to figure out how to get things going. And, and most of the time it works. Where do you think you get this optimism from, Gordon? I'm I'm pretty sure I got it from my mother and my grandmother. My um my mother, as I said before, was German and she was born in 22 and uh lived in Germany during the war. They were they were Christian, so they weren't subject to the persecution that Jews were. My grandmother was Belgian. She uh grew up in Brussels and she also with my mother and, and my grandfather and my aunts, lived through the war. And they came out of the war um, completely unembittered, joyful, for the most part, people, forward-looking, optimistic. And I think it's remarkable. They went through, they, they went through a lot. They went through uh, some really searing times. Um, but they came out of the war with their senses of humor and senses of hope intact. And I, I've got to assume that that's where I got it from. You told me about a event that happened between your grandmother and grandfather, which I think is very telling. I want you to talk about that. And also, you know, when you say they came through it unscathed, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. They have to understand that Germans who lived in Germany, who didn't necessarily uh, believe in what the Nazis were doing, they had a lot on themselves because they had to stay alive too. Any any little breath of uh, dissent, and they could be in the same boat. So it was a very difficult time for them, and especially if they felt everything was wrong that was happening. Uh, you can imagine having to just try to be someone that you're not. And we all know that that's not easy. So, yeah, tell that story about your grandparents. My grandfather was working as a bookkeeper, and um, my grandparents hated the Nazis. They wanted nothing to do with the Nazis, and they were opposed to the Nazis. Um, but when the Nazis came into power, my grandfather didn't join the Nazi Party, which was uh, it was it was a common occurrence for people to join the Nazi Party because it was beneficial socially, politically, and career-wise for most people. My grandfather didn't join the party, but he started to lose work. And uh, work just started drying up and drying up. And eventually, I th- one the story goes, one day he came home from work and said to my grandmother, look, I don't want to, but I have to join the Nazi party. Um, otherwise, I'm going to be out of work. And my grandmother uh, grew up in in Brussels and was was not, not, uh, not German, said to him, uh, if you join the Nazi party, I will take the girls and go back to Brussels. That convinced my grandfather not to join the Nazi party, but he lost his job. He lost work, and they had to move to another part of Germany. They had to move to a part of Germany that they were completely unfamiliar with um, to a place, to a factory, where the owner didn't care that my grandfather wasn't in the Nazi party. Um, most places he tried to get work cared that he was in the Nazi party, and he couldn't get work. He finally found a place... I don't know how far it is away, 110 miles away, um, where 
he could get a job and the owner didn't care that he wasn't in the party and that's where they stayed during the war and what happened there i mean your your, your grandparents did something um pretty courageous at the time so let's talk about that yeah my the factory that my grandfather worked at used uh prisoners of war as laborers and when you say prisoners of war, are you talking about Jews from concentration camps, or are you talking about captured soldiers? Who are we talking about here? Uh, in this case, it was captured soldiers. These were, there were two Frenchmen uh, that were working there. I think there were probably others, too. But there were two Frenchmen that my grandfather got to know a little bit. And at one point, they wanted to go back home to visit their families. And they were, they lived in, they were from France, and France was occupied by the Nazis, so it, it wasn't um, uh, unheard of. But in order for them to go back, they had to have somebody vouch for them, vouch that they would return and not just try to flee. My grandfather uh, said that he would vouch for them. In this, this is, in this instance, my grandmother was alarmed. My grandfather would be held responsible if they decided not to come back uh, to work in the factory. They assured my grandfather that they would come back my grandfather calmed my grandmother, and they came back. They came back, and they they said when they came back, their families were telling them, "Are you crazy? You you a, a German gave you his word, and that's enough for you to go back?" And they said, "Yeah, he gave us he he vouched for us. We're going to hold up our end of the deal and go back." And they went back, and they and they worked back in the factory. Wow, that's that's amazing. I'm more familiar with stories about uh, Jews who survived and how they survived. But, you know, the whole idea of maintaining your sense of self and who you are and your own integrity and your worth as given your word, uh, to be able to do that then, um, on, in both their cases, your grandfather and these two men, that's pretty amazing. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about being in the Catskills, Gordon. Tell me about your life up here. You've had a house here um, in White Sulphur Springs for over 30 years, right? Yes, my husband and I have lived up here for 30 years, a uh, little more than 30 years now. He, he grew up in the country, and he was really interested in getting a country place. I was less interested and dragged my heels, but finally we got a, a house uh, in 1989. We bought our house, and um, he's delighted. He's an avid gardener. He loves being in the country. He gets up here every opportunity he can. I'm the city mouse. He's, if, if, he, if he's a country mouse, and he is, I'm the city mouse, and I really love being in the city, and it's been a lot harder for me to find place for myself up here and a way for me to enjoy being up here it's I, it's beautiful there's a, there's a lot that i like about it but it's it's the city is my thing so it's it's you know it, it took 27 28 years for me really to find a way to um love coming up here well what was it that finally did it that started to draw you up to the catskills it was our dog, Ivy. Ivy, um, Ivy is our third dog, um, and uh, she's now six years old. And uh, three years ago or so, three or four years ago, when she kept jumping into our neighbor's pond, we realized that Ivy really loves to swim. And so we started taking her swimming. We looked for lakes nearby to take her swimming. We got um, a summons for trespassing in one of them and decided not to go back there. But then 
what ended up happening from this is that because I'm devoted to this dog, I started spending weekends looking for places to take Ivy swimming. And this is about like the last two or three years. And, and really, in that time, I've discovered how beautiful the Catskills are. I've discovered lake after lake after lake. There's more fresh water up here than I ever imagined. And I keep finding new places to take Ivy swimming. Or we go back to the same old places. There are lots of places that, that we go to that we love. Um, but it's, a, it's pure delight to find places to take Ivy swimming. And, and she's as happy as a, an animal can be once she's in the water. And we've gotten a um, kayak so that we can stay on the water with her while she's paddling around. And uh, it's become a family event now. And we're all pretty blissful about this. I love this. So you became a Catskill guy. Because of your dog. Yeah. She's part of the fabric of the Catskills. Yeah. Do you ever go swimming with her? And can you tell me about any of the lakes you've discovered that you particularly like or Ivy particularly likes? Yeah, I, Ivy's got many favorites. They're all, they're all favorites of Ivy's. I, I go swimming occasionally. I'm a, I'm a good swimmer. I, I, um, I, I, I'm a strong swimmer, but I'm terrified of swimming in lakes. I'm, I'm convinced that there's something under there, that under there that's going to pull me under. Oh. Um, but I, but I've been trying to get braver and braver and braver about it. So I go out swimming with her occasionally now. She, we go to Lake Superior uh, often in Bethel. That's one of the one of the favorites. Uh, we go to Big Pond uh, in the Catskills. Uh, we go to Alder Lake. Uh, we, I, we've 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 been all over the place. Uh, we're trying to expand our range now. There's a swimming hole in Livingston Manor where a couple of streams converge uh, that we go swimming in. And more and more and more, I've been trying to get comfortable swimming with her. But for the most part, it's Ivy out there and not, not us. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing all of this. I really appreciate it. It's so great to see you after all these years. It's been a pleasure, Donna. It's great to reconnect with you, too. This has been Catskill Character on WJFF Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg, with today's guest, psychoanalyst Gordon Powell. Gordon's website is gordonspowell.com. That's all lowercase. Please tune in every Saturday after Rosie Starr's Farming Country at 1130 to hear more fascinating stories of characters of the Catskills on Catskill Character. I'm your host, Donna Fellenberg, and I thank you so much for listening. This is WJFF Radio Catskill.
support comes from the Calicoon Theater, an updated vintage movie theater with new releases, film festivals, nostalgic screenings, live music events, and more. Information and schedule at www.thecalicoontheater.com. Support comes from Two Queens, offering fresh roasted coffee, fine teas, and local honey. Located in Pete's Plaza, Narrowsburg, New York. Coffee, tea, and bees. TwoQueensHoney.com. Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, was accompanied by Marie Antoinette as he performed his violin sonatas. Shirley Thompson was commissioned to compose a symphony for Queen Elizabeth's Golden Jubilee. They're just two of the many composers whose works you'll hear on Something Old, Something New's celebration of black composers this Sunday from 3 to 5. This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello. In the world of early music, you can journey to the sublime realm of chant, hear the passion of an Italian Baroque violin sonata, or enjoy the excitement of a lively Renaissance dance. I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join me for Harmonia, coming to you each week from this public radio station. Harmonia can be heard Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. here on WJFF. Support comes from the Neversink General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products, and catering for weddings and special events. NeversinkGeneralStore.com. 